very pleased to welcome in our next guest. He wrote uh, a fantastic op-ed in the Toronto Star. A headline, Ontario's healthcare system faces a knockout punch unless immediate action is taken. He's not the only emergency room physician that feels that way. We pointed people to Andrew Petrosoniak's um, tweet storm last night. But Dr. Mark Unger joins us now. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for doing this. Thanks, Greg, and thanks a lot for drawing some attention to this issue. Well, it's it's so massive, and I've been trying. I, I have this lens. I lived in the States for 10 years. I saw, you know, the benefits and the flaws of, of that particular system. Um, I've, I've read a lot about the European systems. Dr. Unger, do we just look at Ontario right now and say we just can't go back to what it was, even if we hired more nurses and built more hospitals. And I, I, I listened to the premier yesterday, Dr. Unger, an eight hour wait time. You must have cringed at that. That's an unacceptable average wait time for a human being to sit in an emergency room, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's um, that was one of my big motivations for writing the op-ed was just seeing um, how long patients are waiting for proper care and, you know, there's an issue about safety for sure for some patients, um, but there's also, I think, a bigger issue for a larger group of patients, which is just comfort. And they're coming to emergency departments generally because they're not feeling well. And to have them waiting uh, in an emergency department an average of 20 hours if they're going to be admitted to hospital is uh, basically just not reasonable. And I think if, you know, my litmus test has always been if I had a family member who was heading to the emergency department and getting that care, would I be satisfied with it? And the answer right now is absolutely not. Yeah, you're right. The next step in the decline of our system has arrived from too few hospital beds to hallway beds to no beds. But you write the absence of hospital beds is not the last straw. Rather, you should worry if there will be someone to look after you. Is that how all of us should be? Should we be on our highest alert for the things we do and maybe the risks we take, do you worry about someone walking into an emergency room and not being able to get properly treated? Um, I think it depends on context. And I think it depends, honestly, actually, probably on which day you're going in and what the staffing is. I would still say we're very good at um, timely treatment of the most serious patients. But anybody who is not really critically ill, I think, can expect to wait for a long time. And, you know, hopefully we do our best to flag patients where time is going to be an issue when it comes to waiting. Um, but, um, you know, I think we have I think most of us working in a healthcare system has a concern now we're not going to be able to meet the needs of our patients. Um, and the number one thing right now is healthcare staffing. And that's what's different. And I don't think we've had quite the same challenges in the past. In fact, I'll say I know we haven't had the same challenges in the past. You note as well that many COVID-19 infection control practices um, that we should drop them. And, and I agree a million percent. And I felt that way for a good chunk of time since most of us have been at least double vaccinated. I know what was happening in January and February. I know how underwater most people working in healthcare felt, and I get why. But we're several months mm. removed from that. What would that do for us to dump a lot of the infection control practices that we now have and still in hospitals? Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't say we should dump a lot of the precautions. I'm just saying that there is like in the best case scenario, you continue to limit spread as much as you can. Um, one of the reasons is I kind of think of COVID a little bit as like 
influenza, but instead of it circulating once a year and overwhelming the hospital, it's circulating multiple times a year and overwhelming the hospitals. Um, but when you're looking at, you know, I just heard you talking about air conditioners and mm -hmm. saying you got to weigh the benefits and the harms. Mm -hmm. um, and when you look at infection control practices, it's the same thing. Um, ideal world, you have perfect infection control practices. But one of the things we're seeing right now is that some of the bed crunch in the system is due to infection control practices where long-term care homes are limited in accepting patients from hospitals. Hospital wards are limited from taking patients from the eMERGE and eMERGEs are limited from taking patients from ambulance because of outbreaks. Um, and I think when you look at that specific issue, you have to say, well, okay, we'd love to not transfer a patient to a facility that has active COVID cases spreading, but we have this other uh, serious health concern, which is it overcrowding in hospitals and people being unable to get to a bed, basically, for treatment. You write about Bill 124, and while I see that it's important, mm -hmm. and I, I wish the government would uh, would dump it, uh, I, I don't think it's a proper use of, of, um, of bureaucracy or administration. But we played a clip of a nurse earlier who said, I'm well compensated. I do fine, but I can't, but I'm losing it. I, I need to work with good people. I need to work with people, period. I need to not have stuff dumped on my lap that is outside of my jurisdiction. So the money isn't everything for why we're losing healthcare workers, is it? A hundred percent. And actually, so there's kind of two things I would talk about that, but I would begin by saying the money is not everything. And I think the number one thing for a lot of staff uh, who are frontline staff is moral distress. And what I mean by that is they have a certain standard. They want to deliver care to patients and they're not able to because of a variety of reasons, because they're understaffed, because they don't have the physical plant to do that. And what happens is, you know, they basically they internalize that. And um, so they're they're. They've got a standard, they can't meet it, and that causes a lot of distress. Now, they're double victims in the sense that their patients are not being met with the standard they expect. And what's happening is they're taking out their frustration and their anger on the nurses. So they've got kind of two things happening at the same time that are really impacting job satisfaction um, and making it really difficult to work in a healthcare environment. And I would say that's actually probably the number one issue right now. Mm. Um, and so what I'm advocating for is you've got to give nurses basically the tools and other healthcare workers, the tools to deliver the care that kind of their moral imperative says they need to deliver. Dr. Mark Unger is our guest. Um, oh, sorry. I, I, I uh, wanted to reset. Dr. Mark Unger, Toronto Emergency Room Physician. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, want, I want to ask a very pointed question. It's probably a yes or no question. A car accident mm. patient. Someone falls off their bike. Is there a risk that he or she could not get life-saving treatment they need in a in an emergency room setting? No, I don't think so. I think they would get always life-saving treatment. That I can reassure the public about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you look for, at? For, go ahead. Sorry. For the the only exception to that, right, is that there are emergency medicine or emergency department closures happening in certain parts of the province. And in that case, 
you could say timely care could be affected. Yeah. Driving 35 minutes somewhere instead of 11 minutes, especially in rural areas. I was thinking about it uh, driving up north um, to, a, to a friend's place on Saturdays thinking we get in a fender bender. I smash my shoulder into the windshield or something like that. What happens? How long does it take an ambulance to come? How is my comfort level in that ambulance? And when do I get seen and where do I go? Those are, we're all asking ourselves those same questions. And I'm I'm the furthest thing from a hypochondriac. But that well, we're asking these questions, aren't we, to ourselves internally? Mm-hmm. I got one more for you. And if you can give, give it to me in 60 seconds, awesome. Do we need to have a mature conversation about our socialized system? I think it's great that that there's no people don't fall through the bottom like does happen in the United States of America. But do we need to have better conversations free of politics, free of ideology about adopting things that other countries do, be they in Europe or be they somewhere else, Dr. Unger, or there's just no fixing this? Um, that's a big can of worms. It's not a yes or no question. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say in general, um, I'm highly supportive of a single publicly funded system, um, but it needs major change. And the biggest problem is, um, I would say, the the lack of kind of imperative for the government to make changes right now. And they're basically saying that our situation is serious, not critical, and they're either misinformed or misjudged. And as a frontline worker, a patient, I'd say everybody who's been in an emergency department or hospital recently would say the system is critical. You've got to start doing something now as opposed to just saying we're training 10,000 more nurses over the next few years. Yeah. Dr. Unger, we really enjoyed talking about your piece, talking to you about it. Um, I hope maybe we can get you on again uh, later in August and see how conditions are and see what your perspective is. But your voice was really valuable in the paper the other day. So thank you for that. Thanks so much, Greg. You bet. Dr. Mark Unger is a Toronto emergency room physician.